If you have your Bible, I want you to go uh, to Joshua chapter 9. And uh, we're continuing in this series called Promised Land Living. Now, uh, as we begin uh, today, uh, I, I, um, I, I want to just help you to understand the greatness of the weekend that we are celebrating today on July 2nd, okay? Some of you may think, wow, what a weird thing to celebrate July 2nd. Well, first, there's a, there's a reason to celebrate. It's my mom's birthday. Uh, she turns 83. Come on, can we just sing? We never do something stupid. Calvary never does stupid things. And this, uh, it's like, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Her name's Rosita. Rosita. Happy birthday to you. All right. Well, uh, you know, my mom was born on July 2nd. Well, July 2nd is a significant day in American history. In American history, July 2nd was actually the day that the colonies had gathered together and the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence had gathered together. It was actually not July 4th, it was July 2nd. And there was submitted the ideas of freedom and liberty that would, would form this nation, which is now officially 247 years old, or six, one of those two, my math, seven, 247. And, uh, and, and so, but our nation goes way back before that. Back to Jamestown, early 1600s, that's a failed colony, and then the Puritans came and dedicated this place to God. Much of our history has been wiped out. Much of our history... Ooh. I've been on a journey for this one, so I'm a little stirred up over this message today. So I, I just want to I, I let you know, just, just kind of hang on. Okay, hang on, because here's what I believe. I believe God has a plan for America. I believe God, ha I believe that those words that were penned back then on July 2nd and put together, that all men were created equal. That the rights which we have, they were not given by government, but they were reinforced by government, but given by God. They, and they were to be self-evident. Listen, I, we need more preachers who would talk this way. Why? Because most of the signers of the Declaration of the Independence, although it won't tell you in your history books today, most of them, before their names, reverend was in front of it. They were reverends. If you want to understand why independence swept through the nation, you need only go back to the revivalist who would preach in the Great Awakenings. And it was the ideas of the, that were birthed from the Great Awakenings that actually served as a backdrop for the formation of this nation. I love what happened on July 3rd. Our second president, John Adams, wrote a letter to his wife. Matter of fact, you can go and listen, uh, go and read these letters. He was, he was a pro prolific writer. They had these wonderful back and forths. And John Adams, in, in speaking of the moment and this weekend that we are celebrating uh, this weekend, 
He actually had some ideas about it on day one, July 3rd. Notice what he wrote. He said, John Adams, second president, he said, I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. Listen, it ought to be commemorated, listen to these words, as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. We ought to celebrate it by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. Boy, I tell you, I mean, enjoy friends, enjoy family, but there ought to be something around July 4th. He was saying, by the way, I believe July 4th will be a religious holiday named the Day of Deliverance. There's more to this story. He says, he says, it ought to be solemnized. This is day one. With pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns. I'm just reading what he wrote. Guns. Bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward forevermore. He wrote this to his wife, Abigail, and he says, You may think me transported with enthusiasm, but I'm not. Why? Because he realized what they were up against. I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration of independence and support and defend these states. Yet through all the gloom, I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see that the end is more than worth all the means and that posterity will triumph in that day's transaction even although we would rue it or possibly regret it, which I trust in God we shall not. I want you to understand that John Adams would die on the 4th of July. He would perish on the 4th of July. And right before he would breathe his life, laugh, he would write to his children and grandchildren these words posterity you will never know how much it costs the present generation to preserve your freedom I hope you will make a good use of it if you do not I shall repent in heaven that I ever took the half of the pains to preserve it oh we don't talk that way anymore I will repent in heaven by the way you should know he was a believer in Jesus Christ. You should know this about John and his, and his son who would later become the sixth president. They were of the first 12 presidents, the only ones to never own a slave. They were the only ones. They, they fought for that liberation. And by the way, most of slavery was outlawed in the North, in the north years, decades before the war that would divide this nation. I want to tell you today, I wonder if we understand what we have been given. I wonder if a na as a nation, and especially the church, if we understand the liberty that we've been given and are what? Making good of it. Here's what I want to tell you. Tonight 
in Wallace Brooks Park, we're going to make good of it. We're going to make good of it. Why? We've been given the liberty to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're going to stand before thousands and love and worship God openly and without fear of repercussion. And we're going to make good of it. Not because we're citizens of the United States of America, but because we're citizens of the kingdom of God. And we have a king which reigns and rules. Listen, listen to me. Don't believe revisionist history. History is trying to be rewritten right now. And I don't have time. I went into a rabbit hole of history. It was so good. Preparing for this moment. But I want to I, I say to you, the foundation of this nation was this. That is to give this place to the worship, the free worship of God. And I believe that in the last hour, the church needs to realize that we are the answer to America's problems. That God working through us will be, uh, will, will be the solution that the world is... You say, well, I've read the end of the book. I know it gets bad. I Listen, I also believe that the church will shine in the last hour. Can we just take a moment and pray for this nation? I want us to pray that we as the church would make good of what we've been given. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I cry out, Lord, with my brothers and sisters, Lord, of every race and tribe and creed and tongue, Lord, who in this place, Lord, you have created equal. Lord, we stand together united in the rights you gave us. And Lord, I pray this morning, God, for this nation. Lord, I pray for a mighty revival to come. A great turning to Jesus. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that in every state, Lord, there would be churches full of life and full of love and full of a move of your spirit. Jesus, I thank you that you have paid the ultimate price. And you sit on the throne that is above every throne. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would once again turn the hearts of the people back to you. And that we would experience your goodness and your kindness and your mercies anew. Have your way in America, God. And revive us, Lord, according to your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, most of you know we're in a series called Promised Land Living, and, this, and, and, and it's amazing uh, how God tends to unite these moments in a, in a synchronous way. You see, in Joshua chapter 9, there's something beautiful that you can discover from God that gives us strategies about how to overcome in the last hour. Today, I want to speak to you a message in this series called Freedom's Foes. Now, we're, we're taking a, a journey through the, uh, through, the, through the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua is like this roadmap for us about how to live this promised land life. You say, what's the promised land? It's not heaven. It's how to live a spirit-led, spirit-filled life following Jesus and the things that you encounter along the way. There are victories. There are sovereign moves of God. There are mistakes. There's brokenness and there's restoration. And, and I believe in, in, that God is giving to us as a people a strategy and, and divine enablements to overcome, to live this life that God has for us. Calvary, God is calling the kingdom of God in this region to expand, not to retreat. 
We're not in retreat mode, church. We're not backing up. We're pressing on. We're pressing forward. We're carrying the gospel. I know some people, I heard it in my spirit. I know. You say, well, I tried that. I, I, I shared. Nobody listens to the gospel. Listen, your faith will work. If you say no one will listen to the gospel, that kind of anointing will be on your mouth. Oh, but if you say, no, the gospel is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides. It goes and it cuts through. And the Holy Spirit begins to move when I utter the words of Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I dare you to whisper those words in the presence of a God who loves and who is still redeeming. And watch the gospel work. Let me get to this. Ooh, can you tell I'm a little stirred up today? Come on. Let's read this together. Joshua 9, verses 1 through 15. You can follow along on the Bible app if you like. It says, now when all the kings west of the Jordan, Jordan heard about these things, what things? The conquering of Jericho, Ai. It says, the kings of the hill country in the western foothills, along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea as far as Lebanon... The kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes, all the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him uh, and the Israelites, we have come from a distant country, make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. So how can we make a treaty with you? They said, we are your servants. Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we heard reports of him. They went back years. All that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan. Sihon, king of Heshbon. And Og, king of Bashan. Who reigned in Ashtoreth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants and make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day when we left. But now, see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins... That were filled, were new, but see how cracked they are, and our clothes and sandals were worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Now, uh, as, as a reminder to you, you know, this is... Part of the story of God liberating Israel, okay? At this time, Israel is the most free they've ever been. They're the most free. They've been set free from Egypt. They've now, they're now walking in the land of promise. They're, they're seeing a measure of victory. So they are the most free they have ever been. Now, let me, let me pause so you can uh, make some, uh, make some uh, connecting points here. Here's what you need to know. 
Christians are supposed to be the most free people on the planet. Let me say it to you another way. Americans are not the most free people on the planet. Christians are supposed to be the most free people on the planet. Why? Because Jesus made this statement in John 8, 36, and he said, So if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. You shall be free indeed. Here's the problem. The problem is, is that most believers don't live like they're free. Do you understand that governments had had problems with Christians like since the foundation of Christianity? You know, the Jews knew this at the time when they were persecuting Jesus. They said, hey, he says he's the king of the Jews and we have no king but Caesar. And when Jesus was asked, he said, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered this way, you say so. You say so. And what was he saying in that moment? He's saying, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is a higher kingdom. And I want you to understand this, believers, regardless of what nation and regardless of of what kind of tyranny tries to reign over a Christian, a Christian belongs to a higher kingdom. Christians are supposed to be the most free people on the planet. Man, I wish I had some believers in here today. If I need, listen, if I need to skip the rest of the sermon to get, to get you into the place where you actually believe that Jesus set you free, that Jesus came and shed his blood to break the chains of bondage in your life. And I think if believers would just start believing what the Bible says about them, we would live liberated no matter the government. That's why Christians have been so persecuted by governments. Why? Because we answer to a higher government. And we're just like, well, you can kill us, but that won't stop us. Tyrannical governments have always oppressed Christians. Why? Because we have a government reigned by a king and according to Isaiah chapter 9, and of his government there shall be no end. He will reign and rule every nation. And I want to give you this as a backdrop today. You are to be free. But as one who lives in freedom... You need to also recognize freedom's foes. Which is the title of this message today, Freedom's Foes. Because there's something that we need to learn from this brief passage. And and I counsel you, please, as we're going through this series, read the whole chapter. Matter of fact, uh, chapter 9 and 10 really go together. We'll get there to chapter 10 next week. But... You need to read through this and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? But I want to show you from these, just these scriptures I've read for you today, these two foes of freedom. These two foes of freedom. First of all, there's the resistance. Notice in verses 1 and 2, it says, The kings west of the Jordan heard about these things. 
kings of the hill country. And notice in verse 2, the very end, it says, They came together to wage war against Joshua in Israel. Listen, the resistance is the enemy you see. The resistance is the enemy you see. There is, make no mistake, an enemy of freedom at work in our nation and in our lives today. There is an enemy. Now wait, before you, 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 you leap to people, you need a biblical perspective. People are not your enemy. Satan is your enemy. Can people be under the control of Satan? You better believe it. Are there ideas birthed in the bowels of hell? Yes, there are. Like the slaughter of the unborn in the womb. Make no mistake, that idea is birthed from the bowels of hell. You cannot come to any other conclusion when you read this book. I love you. If you don't come back next week, that's, that's on you. Here's what you need to understand. In this moment, they came together, and it was right out in the open. I don't know if you've noticed what's going on in this nation, but the war against what is absolutely biblical in, in thinking, it's right out in the open. There's a warfare right now, free people. And we can't sit idly by and say it's nothing. No, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, a spirit called Babylon is at work in America. That Babylonian spirit has a name. It's Ahab. It's Jezebel. It's Baal and Ashtoreth. And without me going through all of it, Jezebel is perversion. And perversion is being normalized. And it's right out in the open. And the church of the living God needs to see it as it is. It's the arraignment of armies. Five of them coming together. It's perversion. In church of the living God, we have to be able to stand up against the enemy we see. By the way, it's not the people. It's the ideology. It's the ideology. Satan's the adversary, and sometimes Satan's attack is clear. You see it coming. Well, what do you do? You do what Jesus did in Matthew 4, 3 through 11. It says, when the tempter came... He said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city. Notice these words. Please don't just read over them. He says, the devil took Jesus, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. This is not something practical, guys. This is a spiritual conflict being described, but it was one that could clearly be seen by Jesus. And it says this. He said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, it is written, 
You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Here is what you do. When the, with the enemy that you see, you must use the word of God. Here's the problem. Most of us don't know that education in America was founded on this book. Listen to me. Educa- the first textbook in America was the Bible. Guess who printed it? Our government did. Our government printed the Bible. Why? Because as soon as you were in fourth grade, every year, you read this book through and through. Fourth grade. King James Version. Can you imagine? Fourth grade. And we wonder, why in the world would a generation fall To this truth that you could be born in the wrong body. It's because we've abandoned the book of Genesis. Where God said let us create man in our image. We we didn't get the first few verses of the Bible. You know why? Last year it's estimated nearly 30 million people abandoned regular Bible reading. Last year. Those are stats written by the Bible society. And by the way, in case you're wondering, what what does it mean to regularly read the Bible? It means to read the Bible four times a year. And there were nearly 30 million people that stopped doing that last year. You want to understand why we are being seduced by the enemy that we can see? It is because we, we have laid down the weapon that is necessary to use... Uh, against the enemy that comes against us in a frontal assault. Church of the living God, we have got to pick this book up again. This is, by the way, our whole system of government was pulled right from this book. I don't have time to give you the whole history lesson. I could almost turn this sermon into a history lesson. But but, But the three levels of government, right here from this book. The ideas behind the way they shape government. But listen, you know the average nation only lives about 17 years under, uh, under its uh, written document. And then they change it. Do you understand what a miracle it is for one nation to stand the test of 247 years of pressure and changing ideas? It's a miracle. But I got to tell you. Church of the living God, if we want to live in promised land living, to see the, uh, listen, it is now out in the open. It is out in the open, the perversion, the mixture that has come. And by the way, make no mistake, it's not just knocking at the door of your children. It's knocking on your door. It comes through every television. Everyone, every telephone. It's coming through. 
But notice what God says. 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, but they're mighty in God. For what? The pulling down of strongholds. What are strongholds? Strongholds are systems of thought Satan uses to keep us bound. Keep us from living in the liberty that God has given to us. Says the weapons of our warfare, what do they do? They pull down systems of thought. What? Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is why Ephesians chapter 6, verse uh, 17 says, and take this, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Listen, we've laid down our weapon. When the enemy now is coming on with a frontal assault, we have abandoned the Bible and we are now weaponless. And we think, well, we just got to wait on the rapture. Church of the living God, our freedom has been purchased to us by Jesus. And if you have been set free by the Son, you can know His Word and you can wield His Word and there will be an authority in your life to live in victory that not even death can stop. I pray that something on the inside of you gets stirred up over the opposition you've been experiencing. I pray something starts to burn on the inside and say, Oh, I've got to get back and start sharpening my sword. I've got to pick it up. Why? Because there's an, there's an assault coming against my mind and I see it coming. Here's the thing. In Joshua chapter 9, if you read the end of Joshua chapter 8, it's powerful. Joshua 8, after the victory at Ai, guess what Joshua does? Joshua pulls all of Israel together and he just reads the whole Bible. All of the Torah. He pulls them all together. And he just reads the Torah to them because he wants them to be equipped for what they're going to face, for the enemies that they could see. He just comes together and their meeting was read the Bible. I'm not even sure we could get people to come to that meeting. (laughs) Think of the pressure that's on me. I got to be a comedian. (laughs) I've got to connect all these things. Joshua, we're just reading the Torah. Come, what are we going to do? We're just going to read the Bible out loud. What's that going to do? It's going to prepare you for war. It's going to prepare you for the enemy you can see. Glory to God. The issue in Joshua 9 is that 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 wasn't the only kind of enemy. There was another kind of foe of freedom. Not only was there a, a resistance, but there was a ruse. There was the resistance, and then there was this foe of freedom called the ruse. And you know the story because we just read it. It was the Hivites who came to deceive Joshua and Israel. Notice what it says. The Israelites sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them uh, to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Let me just tell you how, how, how uh, messed up this really was. This word treaty, let me bring it in to American history. This word 
means this. They made a confederacy. Listen, all my rednecks in the house, don't get upset because I brought this up. <laughs> Hank Williams Jr. was wrong. South's not going to rise again. No. I know what you mean. It's your heritage. I get it. I get it. All right. Be a redneck if you want. I'm redneck all the way through. I'm flow grown for all the young people in there. Okay. <laughs> Don't be upset the South was on the wrong side of history. Because the founders of this nation were on the right side of history. And, and listen to me. Did you know that in most of the northern uh, states and colonies, in, colonies rather, in most of the northern, slavery had been abolished decades, long before the Civil War. I told you this was going to be a history lesson. Did you know that we had a navy to fight the slave trade before we were a nation? Alongside of Britain, we fought slave boats trying to come off the African coast. You know why you don't know that? Because it's been removed from your history books. And people want us hating one another. You see, there's a deception that has been gone, for, gone forth. I'll tell you what it is. It's clear. It's called Marxism, which wants us all divided and hating each other. And God says, and the foundation of this nation and God tells us that unity is what breeds strength. Oh, God help us. You see, we need to be able to identify the enemy we don't see. Which is far more difficult. It's deception. Let me give you the truth. He said he made a treaty of peace, made a confederacy. And then they ratified it by oath. This word oath, it, it's, it's, it means literally, from the Hebrew, they sevened it. This word oath, it means they sevened it. They said it again. We will not kill you. 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 They said it seven times, which made it holy. Which is why they couldn't go back on it when they discovered who they really were. Listen, let me give you this truth. Leaning on your own natural leaning on natural understanding when dealing with deception will cause you to normalize the presence of your enemy in your life. Listen carefully. Leaning on your natural understanding when dealing with deception will cause you to normalize the presence of the enemy in your life. Let me say it to you this way. The problem with deception is that when you are deceived, you don't know it because you're deceived. You're deceived and you think you're right. You're deceived and you think you're okay. That's the problem with deception. And make no mistake, I know some of you in here, I'm saved by grace. I can't be deceived. You have not read your Bible. You haven't read your Bible. Jesus says, Jesus said, when speaking of the last hour, how many of you know the greatest deception comes on the planet in the last hour? We start worshiping, the world starts worshiping the beast, worshiping the false prophet. There's worship. You say, oh, did I take the, did I take the mark of the beast? The mark of the beast involves worship. 
And that deception comes on the, the whole of the planet, except those whose names are written in the book of, the li- book of, the, of life. Jesus said this about those days. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived. Why in the world would he give that instruction to people who are following him if it was not possible? That means that that there may be an enemy or a thought that we have simply accepted in our life instead of of actually abandoning that and jettisoning that deception out of our life. He said, many are going to come, say, I'm he. Do not follow them. Galatians 6, 7 says this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Guys, I'm here to tell you in the church, there's a whole bunch of the church that does not believe this verse. That starts with, don't be deceived. There's a whole bunch of people. Oh, I'm saved. I don't reap what I sow. You know what that is? Deception. I got to tell you the truth on this Freedom Weekend. Why? Because I want you to live in the liberty that Jesus provides. And I want you to recognize the foe that comes to your door, even the sneaky ones. You say, what did they do? Why were they deceived? They leaned on natural understanding. They tasted moldy bread. Let me suggest to you that that's exactly what the church is doing today. We are taking our cues from culture. We're taking our cues from the world. And here's what it is. When the enemy is knocking at our door and say, oh, no, you can have this level of mixture. You can have this level of sin. You're going to be just like the culture and you'll be fine. Here's what that is. That is moldy bread thinking. You will not arrive at that from pursuing the living God. The whole reason Israel was deceived by the Gibeonites are found in verse 14. But they did not inquire of the Lord. They did not inquire of the Lord. Why? Because. Og, the giant, we took him down. That was before Jordan. Did you see the Jordan? Man, it dried up for us, and we walked on dry ground. We took the stones out. We're living at Gilgal. Man, we marched around Jericho, and those walls came down. Oh, we got it bad, aching, man. He brought some bad stuff up, but we purified ourselves, and we're even going to church. Joshua just read the whole thing to us. You know what they started to do? They they, They began to step in to this. They had more of a relationship with the promises God had made to them rather than the promiser. Let me give you you an education, church. Listen, just because you have a promise on your life, you may have been prophesied over, you may be anointed, you may have all kinds of ministry. That does not exempt you from the intimacy of seeking the face of God. The reason they fell into deception, the reason why these people were were, were, who they were called to conquer and, and rid of all of their false gods. By the way, it came back to bite them later. All of the false god worship, the Gibeonites did not become worshipers of the one true God. They became woodcutters and stonecutters, which I'll talk to you about last, next week. Woodcutters and stonecutters. 
But they did not, they, they were doing the machine of serving God, but they had no intimacy with God. They had false gods, and those false gods would, would pollute Israel in a time to come. Now listen to me. The whole reason they were deceived is because they didn't pray. You should write this down. Presumption led to prayerlessness, and prayerlessness led to unrighteous partnerships. Prayerlessness led to unrighteous partnerships. They presumed. And I actually believe with all of my heart that there is a prayer movement in the earth because God wants to see the church live in victory. Did you know that right now in Kansas City, there is a prayer meeting that's been going on since 1999, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It has never stopped. And there are growing prayer rooms all around the world. And more and more churches are fasting and praying and seeking the face of God. Listen, you can never exempt pursuing a relationship with God and think, I'm just going to stand on what I always heard the preacher say. Well, once you're saved, you're always saved. You know what you're going to end up doing? Eating moldy bread. You're going to have moldy bread instead of the daily bread which comes down from heaven, which is experienced in relationship with God and nourishes you. And you get every word from the mouth of God, including today's word. Listen, church, we are called to make good of the freedom that we have been given. And the way you make good of the freedom is you face the foes you can see and you deter the foes you can't see by seeking God in prayer. Here's the counsel I give to you. Pray about everything. Pray about everything. If, I, if you found yourself in a moment a, a crux about, about what to do and you're like, man, I don't know what to do. It's time to pray. Even when you think something's a good idea, you know what time it is? Pray. Even if you think, well, this isn't sinful, but is it, is it a weight that would slow you down? Pray. Is it the life that God has called you to live as a light and as hope in a last hour where deception is sweeping the earth? Pray. I believe that God's answer for the growing deception on the earth is a growing prayer movement. That's why in the same chapter where he told the people, do not be deceived, Luke 21, he says, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. I've got good news about the prayer movement. God moves when we pray. If you're wondering, you say, even in the last hour, oh, yes, he does. If you were to cry out to God today, regardless of your condition, you may be sin sick. Your head may be hurting because I'm loud and you were drunk last night. But I got good news. If you will call on Jesus in authenticity, he will come to you. He will rescue you. He will save you. You say, can you be sure of that? It's a dark day, pastor. My Bible says that in the last days in Acts 2, he said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters, they will prophesy. Your old men dream dreams. Young men have visions. All my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out of my spirit in those days. And then listen to this. Listen to the, the way that, that prayer still works in the midst of signs in the heavens and foes all around. It says this, I will show wonders in the heavens above and on the earth below, blood and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And listen to these words. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There would have been salvation in Israel from the plan of the Hivites had they called on the name of the Lord. And I promise you, whether it's the enemy you see or the one you don't see, the deception that's that's in your life or the one that's about to come knocking on your life, if you will call on the name of the Lord, the the rescuer of all rescuers will come. His name is Jesus. On his thigh, it is written his name. He is the faithful witness. His robe dipped in blood. His voice has the sound of many waters. Eyes like fire, filled with love and passion. He will deliver. He will deliver. He will save. He will renew. Hear his voice at the end of all days in the book of Revelation saying this. And he's saying it today. Behold, I make all things new. Behold, I make all things new. I pray. I prayed and I believe I've come to liberate some Christians in this place. I pray you would get from out, from under the thumb of the Hivites in your life. That you have welcomed an enemy in your house. Why? Because you've been deceived. You've been deceived. If you have more of a relationship with the theology than the God of the theology, abandon the theology and get intimate with him. Abandon it and get intimate with God. And then suddenly, oh, a holiness will begin to be birthed from your life. A liberty will be birthed from your life. You'll be the most free people on the planet. You won't see, oh, countries can't stop you, laws can't stop you, not even death can hold you. Why? Because I'm, I'm free. I'm not afraid. I've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Here's what I want to tell you today. Listen, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Call on him. If you pray that deception that's been in your life, you'll be liberated from it. Listen to me, believers. It also goes for us too. Listen, we need to begin to cry out to God because there's some moldy bread that's been in our lives. There's been some things that's robbing us of our potential, robbing us of the expansion that God has called us to. Don't eat the moldy bread. Don't rely on your own understanding. Get back into the place of prayer. Get back into that place of intimacy with God. Dare to say, God, I'll even fast and push back the plate. You say, why are you talking about fasting on 4th of July? Because somebody needs to say it. This, but John Adams said it on day one. He said, there should be solemn acts acts of devotion to God, which include what? Fasting. By the way, did you know our government called a fast every six months for like the first hundred years? No, because they don't teach you that. There would be a fast for a problem and then a, a, a day of prayer, of celebration, of answering prayer. God will help you. God will help you. Listen to me, God will help you. And then the church of the last hour will live victoriously until he comes for us again.